I bet you already know what I'm going to say. Of course, I'm going to tell you to go to MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick and just bookmark it already. If you do that, then every time you use that bookmark, you're going to be supporting the Messy Studio Podcast because Blick will give us 10% from the purchase of your art supplies. It's fast, it's easy, and it is the best way to support the show. So head on over to MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, bookmark it, the Blick website looks exactly the same and functions exactly the same. And right now, my Mary oil paints are 20 to 57% off. So it is a great time to pick up a few tubes of oil paint. Once again, that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. All right, let's get on into the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about abstraction and visual ideas. Abstract artists are known for getting ideas for their work everywhere. If you notice someone taking a photo of a crack in the sidewalk or staring at a piece of rusted metal, chances are good that's an abstract artist at work, collecting ideas for lines and colors and textures. Even if we don't depict objects realistically in our work, we are constantly observing the world around us. Today we are talking about the process of gathering and using visual ideas in creating abstract art. With me as always is Rebecca Kroll. Hello everyone. Yes, as artists, we all seem wired to be looking at the visual world around us, constantly observing it, um, no matter what our approach is to art, whether that's realism or whether it's pure abstraction or anything in between. And, you know, our eyes just get caught by so many things, shadows, patterns, colors, clouds, people's faces, gestures, so many things in the world that just strike us as visually interesting and they kind of make us pause. You know, sometimes we take a photo, sometimes we just look. Um, and today I'm kind of thinking about the ways that artists use these observations and how they're kind of different in abstraction and realism. That is, they're different when the artist is using what is what they're looking at, what they're observing as a direct source of imagery, or is it more like a jumping off point um, in abstraction? So um, I'll get to more of that in a minute. But I wanted to start with the different ways we look at and observe the visual world around us. And, and I think we all know that where our individual attention goes is very different. It's, I guess, idiosyncratic. Um, it's, each of us kind of fixates on certain things, I think. Maybe not what other people are, are noticing. Um, and I don't think it's always conscious. It's not in the forefront of our minds. A lot of times we just find ourselves like staring at a pattern or a color uh, right now, I'm sort of looking at the reflections on this lamp in front of me. It's like, it's just there. And we're looking, maybe not very aware of it. Um, I don't know how much non-artists do this, but I think most artists would identify with this kind of state of mind where you're, you're sort of in a zone of just, your eyes are just enjoying something. Um, kind of a habit of always looking at things. It's it's almost kind of a daze or a daydream. Um, and this, that kind of thing where you're just taking it in, uh, 
I really think it does feed your work, um, even if you're not being very conscious of it, because a lot of intuitive painting depends on things that are kind of just under the surface. And so because you're taking in on some level, whatever you're looking at, then ideas can appear in these kind of light bulb moments kind of spontaneously, because you did take that in um, on some level. And, but I guess it's different when you really intentionally look closely at something, really studying something visually and bringing your awareness to it, your consciousness. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what happens when you notice something? Do you by any chance have an example of one of these kind of light bulb moments where you're looking at something and maybe you're kind of thinking, how can I create that effect? Yeah, yes. I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I've got a couple of examples because I know it's a little bit vague. You know, I mean, I'm going to get to the idea of of how this has worked for me, at least, um, with, with, with some examples. Um, because I've been wondering, you know, when you notice something and you really make an effort to analyze it, um, even put words to it, can that make a difference in your work? Um, and consider that maybe these things that you're taking in lead to new possibilities in your work and what you want to say with it. And that's this idea that I wanted to talk about, what I call visual ideas, comes out of that experience. So for an abstract artist, you're looking at something, but you don't really have an intention of actually depicting this thing, but you can still use it in your work. So I know that's, uh, that is a little bit vague, so I will give examples. Um, but this term of visual idea, I, I use it when I'm talking to students and so on, and I don't know exactly where it came from in my mind. It doesn't seem to be a real term visual idea. I mean, I tried to find a definition of it, and I didn't see anything um, the way that, that I sort of use it, um, which seems a little odd to me. It seems like a, a sort of obvious concept and basic. But what I think of when I say visual idea is that something comes uh, from the fact, from observing closely, something visually can be translated. And Obviously, realist artists do this all the time. But if you're working abstractly, to me, a visual idea means something different than reproducing what you see. It doesn't mean using that observation in, in that kind of direct way. Um, it's translating it. And I think of a visual idea as, as a distillation of something you're looking at. It's and, and in that sense, removed from its source. And it can, you know, really spark your ideas. And in order to use this visual idea consciously, you get there often by observing consciously. So, you know, visual ideas are happening all the time in realism. The, the object that the person wants to paint and the visual idea are pretty closely aligned. Um, of course, the realist artist is always interpreting uh, filtering out what they want to say about something, but it is about the thing they're looking at and how they're going to express it, what they want to say about it. 
um, and the you know what did they want to say about the tree that they're painting uh, the variations of color something about the figure that they're painting and whatever visual language they choose um, is what is aimed at expressing about the thing that they're looking at so uh, but in abstraction visual ideas tend to be separate from what they're looking at they're sort of liberated liberated from reproducing what they're seeing in this direct way and using in some new way so even if you include some kind of imagery in an abstract painting you're not trying to make it look real you're trying to bring something else to it and so you can develop visual ideas that are not tied to their original source of something that you observe so okay time for examples <laughs> um, because that's all just a bit of theory a bit of thought that's you know something that is about making this leap in abstraction from what you see to what you're going to paint and it's it's a difficult leap and many times when i'm teaching people say how does that work we're all surrounded by this visual world we're all looking at it all the time how do i shift into something that isn't closely related to what i'm looking at um and the idea for talking about this came to me just the other day and i was i was taking a walk and i was on this road that had kind of rough pavement pavement so there was a texture to the road and i'm walking along and i'm looking at shadows that are cast by the leaves of the trees that line the road and you know there was this really interesting you know dappled effect from the shadows I'm staring at that as I'm walking, and I'm thinking, as an abstract painter, I really don't have any interest in painting this actual scene of this road with these leaf shadows on it. But nevertheless, I'm looking closely, and I'm noticing the variations in value in the shadows that are cast, like how these overlapping leaves create darker values, and and some so some shadows are lighter, some are darker. Um, but also how the the transparent aspects of the shadows allow that texture of the pavement to come through. So we have rough texture, and we have overlapping um, uh, different values over that. And so I found myself thinking about how transparent colors have this effect when you overlap them with several you know different applications of the color it creates different values and and yet that underlying layer whatever it is is going to show through so i'm just you know meandering in my mind with this as i'm walking and i'm thinking okay overlapping transparencies is a visual idea that is useful um and and in fact, I'm working on a painting, or I had been working on a painting at the time that had nothing at all to do with the shadows of leaves. But I started thinking about this overlapping transparency of color idea, and that, and I actually started to use that in the painting. So the leaves, looking at that experience, that visual experience, was a point of departure, and it set some solutions to the painting that I was working on in motion. It kind of, you know, was a stimulus for how do I solve this problem? Because the painting was looking rather flat to me. Now, I've used overlapping colors plenty of times, overlapping transparencies. So 
it wasn't like it was a new idea, but there was something about the moment in which I observed that thing in real life as I'm walking, and I go back to the paying and I say, ah, okay, that's that's how I want to approach this. And so it isn't always that what you're looking at gives you a new idea, but it might be the little spark that you need to solve some kind of problem in your work. And that process is really interesting to me. And sometimes it is kind of unconscious, and sometimes it's much more of a study, which was what was happening with with the example I just gave you. Um, well, right. And sometimes it's it's just that initial spark that leads you in another direction. And maybe it's three steps down the road that you hit on something that's really powerful and useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the more that you can take things in um, and the more that you can take note of what you're seeing, you can you can build up this visual awareness that's that's important. And if you do have a background in realism, you have done this many times. I mean, that's part of, say, plein air painting. You're out there and you are absolutely observing everything and translating it into your work. And that's actually, I think I've, you know, probably said many times on the podcast, a background in realism or some practice in realistic approach where you're really observing things is really helpful in abstraction. Um, and it's sometimes people feel it's a drawback uh, in, you know, how do I how do I make that shift? Because their their habit of painting has always been look, you know, observe and then create, recreate with the paint. Um, and there is a there is a mental or conceptual shift in removing what you're looking at uh, and using it in a different way. But that that initial thing where you're really looking, um, you're studying the way a shadow is cast, or you're studying the way a light is reflected off a glass, and you're trying to reproduce that with your paint. That is all really good experience. And it is embedded somewhere, you know, so that when you, if you, if you go into abstract work, um, you have that vocabulary. And if you've never done that, um, I think I do think you're missing something um, in terms of how to work with what you see and how does it show up in your paint. Um, and I am speaking as a painter rather than you know 3D work or other kinds of work because it's what I know. But I just uh, you know when people say, well, I don't know, you know, I've just been painting realism for so long, I don't know if I can make that kind of shift. Um, I say, yeah, you've been you've been doing this work that has built up your observation, your powers of observation, and your powers of translating. And so then it's just uh, it it is a step into losing the object. Uh, it's very uh, hard sometimes and takes a while. It certainly took a while for me. Um, and this might be a good time for a break because then I'm going to go into a story about how that worked for me. <laughs> Okay, let's take a minute to talk about what's new from Cold Wax Academy. Rebecca and Jerry are busy planning the summer quarter of their membership program, which begins on July 13th. These exciting sessions will explore personal voice and composition and continue the topic of professional development with some special guests. 
Member critiques and painting clinics, Cold Wax Academy's new feature are ongoing. You can join the membership program anytime and catch up with past recorded sessions at your own pace. Please visit coldwaxacademy.com for more information. That's coldwaxacademy.com. Also, stay tuned for information coming soon about Rebecca and Jerry's newest project, Espacio, dedicated to providing beautiful living and working spaces for artists and writers. Espacio's first offering is Casa Clavel, a modern, fully equipped house opening this September in the beautiful cultural city of San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. You can learn more and make a reservation by emailing info at coldwaxacademy.com. A dedicated Espacio website is coming soon. Once again, to learn more and make a reservation, just email info at coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get back into it. Okay, so just talking about that um, shift from observing the real world, putting it into your painting as you see it or as you interpret it. So another example for me of visual idea and how that helped me make the leap into uh, abstract painting happened uh, quite a long time ago now, about 20 years ago. And I was on a residency, uh, artist residency in Spain, and it, my first one actually. <clears throat> and I'd been struggling with this transition to abstraction and having a hard time finding meaning in abstraction, um, having a hard time making that that move away from the object. And so, and I'd made some attempts, and I think I've probably talked about this before on the podcast, but it wasn't really gelling for me. I didn't really feel like I had a direction. So anyway, I was I was there um, in Spain, and I had been working with this um, view of the mountains, and it was kind of overwhelming. It was a beautiful place, and the, the scenery was <laughs> very striking, but I really, you know, I, that's not what I wanted to do. And anyway, there was a moment when I was just simply looking down at my feet, <laughs> looking down at the ground, and having that moment of close visual observation and being aware, I think, of what I was looking at. And I'm looking at the ground and I'm looking at the nuances of the color of the dirt and, you know, the textures and the little rocks and sticks and you know, a few weeds and stuff. But the point is, it was a flat plane. It wasn't, I'm not looking out at a scene. I'm looking at something that's basically flat, and I'm looking down at it. And I had this moment when I saw that as um, an abstract image. And this had to do with the fact that it was flat. That was kind of the visual idea. That's a, because in abstraction for, um, for, a long time since it was first being used, the idea of a picture plane that is flat. You're not looking at a scene. You're not looking at an illusion of depth. You're looking at what's on the surface of the canvas or the panel or whatever. That's been a long, uh, a long time characteristic of a lot of abstraction. You can have some visual depth by layering and, you know, Maybe something looks like it's painted over something, of course, but it's not that idea of illusion of a, you know, 3D illusion. So I'm looking at this flat plane and I, I'm realizing, okay, 
there's a layered surface here with some small details, um, but the fact that it's not, there's no illusion of depth, really, it's very shallow, that was opening a really big door for me. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but looking looking and then translating it into a visual idea was profound. <laughs> I mean, it, and, and I didn't, I'm not saying I realized all of that in that moment. It started to come back to me as I was painting. And I started painting um, these kind of uh, textured surfaces. I was just, when I got back from that residency, I was just getting into cold wax. That's when I first started using it. And the cold wax was enabling me as I developed the techniques, which took a while. So this is a process. But I started developing these layers um, of texture and color that were coming from that moment of observing the ground and losing the horizon line, you know, all that stuff that implies landscape. But the essence of landscape, I felt, was there um, without the scene. <laughs> so... So what do you do you recall what year this was that you first had this experience? Yeah, it was 2001. That was 2001. And and how long did it take you to really develop that? Um it took about I'm going to say 5 or 6 years after that. Um but I was on to to feel like I was doing something that meant that I I was getting it. But during that time, I was aware of developing this idea. It just took a long time because it right. was tied in. All, it was tied in also with using cold wax medium. And when I first started using it, I didn't, I didn't have the technical, you know, expertise at all with it. It was brand new, and there was no information that I was pulling from. So I was developing these techniques, but I think that. And so that was all tied together, the form and the content. But it's it's interesting that these visual ideas that you can have can present real technical challenges. And then it may take a while to find the answer to what you want to say. And that's what was happening, really. I mean, <laughs> my first attempts were not that interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and it seems like something that requires a whole lot of patience and and a whole lot of kind of problem solving and um, really experimentation, and not not something that we can really expect to just happen overnight. True, and I I think especially when it requires the development of a technique or the development of or learning to use a medium, you might have an idea, say that was that would be really interesting if carried out in printmaking. Like you're, you've seen something that sparks an idea that seems very graphic, but you're not much of a printmaker, you're just learning. And then in that case, it would take a while to get there. Um, but you know, there are times when it, when it's pretty direct. I mean, like the example I gave earlier of, of the leaves and the shadows and so on. Um, you know, I had, I now have the ability with cold wax medium and oil to to take that pretty directly, you know. So sometimes, yeah, the technical aspects, a skill to really express what you're seeing definitely can take a while. <laughs> I, I wonder sometimes if I'm just a really slow learner. I mean, it really did take me so many years to get to to the 
point of being fluent with a medium. But I, I say that with with a little bit of humor because I was really challenged in the beginning um, to understand a new medium that I didn't have any um, direction with that I was coming up with how to use this thing. So, so yes, it took me a while. Um, and I, I wanted to talk about also, we can have in us memories from a long time ago that are visual and talk about, you know, taking a long time to come into our work. You, you know, I think a lot of people can have moments in their childhood that stand out in a visual way. Um, and as artists, sometimes they'll come back to us. And there's one from my own childhood that has always been part of my work, I think. And that is, so I was, I think I was about seven or eight. And um, it had snowed heavily. And there was a, a place um, behind our lot that was kind of a, a just a field uh, overgrown, you know, with weeds. And I was playing in the snow. And I started to crawl on my hands and knees into that weedy part of the lot. And there was like this tunnel through, uh, it's hard to even describe. I can see it very clearly in my mind, but these these weeds and, and plants that were heavily weighted down with snow, because it's like this heavy, wet snow, I'm crawling through this kind of tunnel. And I I got surrounded by this texture and color of, of these weeds and snow that were just all around me. And I remember just kind of sitting there being surrounded all around me by these white shapes and then the the detail of the of the stems and the sticks and so on. And so there was <laughs> of course I didn't think of it as a visual idea at the time, but that's what it was being surrounded by natural forms and 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 organic shapes and colors. And I really think that has something to do with my approach to abstraction now, today, because um, it it goes back to this feeling of being within nature, not looking at it from a distance as a scene, although I certainly observe that all the time, but being inside of it. And that's and that's the visual idea, the abstract idea that you know, finally I've come to in my work um, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I think it's, you know, an example of this kind of more unconscious way that we take in visual information and it's implanted. If it's strong enough, it can last a very long time um, and come through much later. So, you know, it's interesting as artists to maybe think of, you know, is there something like that? in your life that, you know, maybe you've never really connected it with what you do uh, as an artist now today, but chances are, if you have a strong visual memory and, and that, that's one, I have others from childhood as well, or my earlier life, it chances are, those are part of, you know, what you're doing now in some way. So I, I think that's just so interesting that, that translation. Um, and I, in abstraction, I guess I would say visual ideas, you can find them wherever you are, any situation, whenever something strikes you as, ooh, interesting, you know, you're staring at it. Um, like, if you have the awareness to say, 
let me think about what are the visual ideas and what I'm looking at here. What what are the changes in color, value, texture, line that are interesting? Is there a composition that I'm looking at? Um, and and that can become a visual idea that that you take forward. Um, and I also think that once you look at something and really analyze it that way, and you think about it in terms of visual ideas, maybe even write them down, maybe even make some notes, you're more likely to see it again. <laughs> you know, you it's like you become conscious of some situation of shadows or something like that, and, and then you start noticing that again. Or maybe you go back and you look again at the same thing or something like it. And I mean, there's kind of an example of that of, um, surfaces that are, you mentioned in the intro, people looking at rusty objects, you know, things like that. A lot of abstract artists that I know that are interested in color and texture really love rugged surfaces like rust, um, things that are eroded or weathered, and find themselves looking at them a lot over and over. And I think over time, you start to understand how that could be translated into your work. And I, again, speaking from experience, because I, I'm like that, I like to look at stuff like that. And my initial attempts were not really what I wanted. They, they weren't, they didn't have the complexity that these kind of surfaces really do. And so looking at them over the years, it's kind of implanted in my mind, okay, this is, this is that effect. I'm not painting a rusty piece of metal. I'm not painting an old wall in my mind, but I've sort of learned how to create the effect of layers and textures and colors that are built up and then uh, scraped back into and, you know, pushed around a little bit. And you, and so that organic weathered look has come into my work over years of looking at stuff like this. So it's, you know, it's a process. But well, yeah, and we we did mention in the in the introduction taking photos, and certainly we all have these fabulous smartphones in our pockets now, and taking photos is a lot easier than it used to be. Um, but there <laughs> sure. there are a lot of other techniques that can really cultivate this, and it seems like that analytical mindset and that observation is really the most important thing. Um, but there's also it, it sketching, and uh, I know that you've done like rubbings on textured surfaces before, and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can bring your attention to what you're looking at. Definitely um, taking photographs because for myself, I don't refer to the photographs I take, but I take them. And I think... Yeah, taking them is almost more important than it, looking at them later. It is. It's that moment when you're saying, look at this, this is amazing. Um and, you know, I might scroll through them later, but I'm not, I don't have them in front of me when I'm painting because then you're back to painting what you're looking at, you know, and it's, it's different. Um, so taking the photograph can implant some visual ideas because you're very aware when you're doing it. Um, and as you said, doing, doing some things outside where you're really observing or in your house, if that's what you're interested in objects, really trying to observe through sketching or painting. And that is really good, really good training. Um, and as you mentioned, I've done that, uh, that frottage, that rubbing of textures on rocks and then using, well, creating a, an abstract composition by doing that. Very interesting. It really, 
makes you aware of the little cracks and little bumps in, in the rocks that are underneath your pencil there. Um, so lots of ways, yeah, to explore this and really bring some, some attention to it. And, um, you know, just that, that conscious thing. And maybe making some notes, some observations um, about your work and about what you're seeing. And, you know, I think it's, like you said, it's that conscious awareness that's important. And just briefly, you know, this thing with visual ideas, I just want to say one more more thing about that, because it also comes to play when you're looking at the work of another artist. Okay, you're looking at it, basically, you're looking at an object um, that is a painting, a sculpture, whatever it is, and you're, you're admiring it, you, you like it. And some it's it's just kind of a universal issue for artists that we don't want to be derivative. We don't want to say, I like this painting, I'm going to do something a lot like it. Like that's kind of, eh. we don't want to be too close to someone else's work. But if you look at someone's work and you think about it just in terms of visual ideas, you're sort of translating it into something um, less specific. So you're not saying I want to do. I want to make a painting like this de Kooning that I'm looking at in the museum. Um, instead, you can distill it into some visual ideas that then you can use in your own way. Um, so, if you're looking at this de Kooning painting, and again, I'm speaking from experience because I have a specific painting in mind that I have looked at a number of times in a museum. So, I'm seeing interaction of line and shape. I'm seeing little bits of color that are coming through more neutral layers. I'm seeing hints of shapes, but they're covered over. So those are visual ideas. That Those are not this painting by de Kooning. This is what I'm taking from it. So I can take that and I can use that visual information in my own way. And basically, anybody's work, whether it's realism or abstraction that you're looking at and you're liking, you can distill it into some visual ideas that are more universal and then use them. And I have to say, I've a lot of times when I go through a museum, I have a book, a little sketchbook with me, and I'm making those kinds of notes. I'm saying, oh, look at how these colors work together. Or there's something about this composition that's really interesting, and I'm just making a few notes. It all adds to the mix of what are your own unique ideas. Um, and it's a great way to spend time in a museum. And, I, it, you know, artists are sponges. I mean, we, when, when we see something we love, we're like, ooh, I want some of that, you know? <laughs> so look at the thing you love. What is it about the thing you love that you could use in your own work in your own way? Maybe it's a rough texture. Maybe it's, um, you know, a close color palette, something. And make, you know, implant that. And then, and then you're not copying that artist. You're just taking some of the visual ideas, which are quite universal, really. You could find them in a lot of different uh, work. So, Anyway, and look at your own work that way too. What are the visual ideas that you're using? Is there consistency to it? Is there are there certain ways or themes that run through your work? Um, that's another aspect of using visual ideas to bring awareness to your work. 
Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hope by now, by the end of the episode, there's been enough examples so that you know <laughs> what I was talking about. I think I started out with more of a theory and then into more specifics. So um, really, you're probably already working I know you're everyone listening to this is already working with visual ideas if you're at all observant of what's going on in the visual world around you whether you're an abstract artist or a realist um so I guess all we've been you know saying today and you made the point too is being a little more conscious or analytical about what you're s- sort of staring at <laughs> at least every so often you know nobody's going to do this all the time but Sometimes you you can understand that what you're looking at is a pathway, is a doorway. Uh, that's a moment to really really take notice um, and see what changes it can can bring to your work. I think this is really a deeply important creative act to to nurture visual ideas that will grow past what you were originally seeing and and looking at, and then bringing them into your work in a, in a new way. It's it's really an amazing process. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at ColdWaxAcademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out rosstickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.